Okay, here we go. Now put it in reverse. Got it. Now forward. Okay. Reverse. Now turn the wheel. Alright. Turn the wheel! No! Reverse! Reverse! Slow the out! Don't kill it! Kill it! Kill the owner! There's a reason they say curse like a sailor. I said reverse! Many reasons. Progressive's boat insurance has you covered. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Well, we're dock now. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. Welcome to the NBA Front Office Show and Happy New Year. We are happy to be back with you. We took a little bit of a break for the holiday period. I know my uh, home office slash recording studio was filled up with family as we had family here. And then Khan, our producer. Khan, how are things over in Turkey? I know you were traveling for the last, uh, about what, the almost the last three weeks? Yeah, it was about two and a half, three weeks. Um, Turkey's great. I had a lot of fun. Uh, we had and my engagement party, my uncle's engagement party, um, and I got to see all my cousins and everything. So it was it was a great time. And but I'm happy to be back. It's it's quite a while to be away. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. It's a it's one of those things that was always sound good, and then towards the end, it's a little like I just want my couch, my bed, my stuff, right? Yes. So, <laughs> yeah. And then Pete, how was uh the holiday period with your little guy? All good? Oh yeah, everything was great. He actually uh, knew who Santa was this year, and. Stuff. And was super excited, although he would not sit with Santa. So <laughs> maybe next year. There you go. Yeah, I remember going through those days as well. We, uh, you know, we we went through that with my my daughter. Now she's uh she she's she's still hanging in there. So we're pretty happy about that. But um, you know, with, with the belief. So we'll we'll see how long that goes. So, uh, but you know, we are like I said, we're really happy to be back with everybody as we are recording this on Sunday, January sixth. So we've got a lot to catch up on. A pretty packed agenda today. But we are going to go through all the uh, news and notes and transactions since the last time we recorded which was just before the christmas holiday and then we'll get into some injury updates and then i promise 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 this time we are going to talk the atlantic division uh, we're going to go through each of the five teams talk kind of some stats some rotation stuff just general thoughts on where their season is going so far so we're really you know excited to get into to all that and you know really spend a lot of time on those five teams and you know we're we're here this is what this show is for this is this time of year really from early january to about a month out from the trade deadline now trade deadline a little earlier this year than usual so 
you know, we're, we're right full on in trade season. And with that, we do have a trade to talk about. So in this, this one con involves your guys, the Chicago bulls. So we're going to get, get into this one. So the bulls traded Justin holiday to the Memphis Grizzlies for Marshawn Brooks. Yes. Marshawn, not Dylan Marshawn and Wayne Selden. And then two second round picks from Memphis 2019 and 2022nd, no protections on those bulls also created a $2.7 million trade exception in this deal and then they also had to uh, create a roster spot to bring in both Brooks and Selden so they waived campaign so just uh, the the Cameron Payne error ends in Chicago with not much fanfare uh, you know didn't didn't quite go as well as they had hoped and then the, the only other add-on to this trade is it sounds like Marshawn Brooks is never gonna play for the Bulls it sounds like they're working on finding another team for him or likely a bio uh, if a trade can't be found because just no no real need. They've got enough wings. Selden, though, sounds like he will get a look and be part of the rotation. So, so Con, these are your guys, the Bulls. What's the motivation here for Chicago to trade Holiday and, and to trade him now? Well, much like the entire fan base uh, complains about the Chicago Bulls not wanting seconds, um, this time around they actually got seconds and valued them, uh, I think, correctly because Justin Holiday, I don't think he was ever going to pull a first rounder or a late first. Maybe if they waited, a Houston might pull the trigger on something like that. Um, just those teams that are in contention and are desperate for wing help. But I do think that uh, two seconds was the price. And then from all accounts, there was a lot of suitors for Holiday. And it was just about getting maybe one extra piece, maybe that team that'll throw in a third second or a Memphis who will throw in a, a Wayne Selden who has been having a pretty decent season. And I think he's a lot better than campaign at basically everything. Maybe <laughs> campaign's a better passer, maybe campaign's a better passer, but even that is questionable. Um, so I'm pretty, I think they did a great job in this trade. Uh, Holiday obviously wasn't in the future plans. And unless they were planning on maybe competing for a playoff spot towards the end of the season, which isn't happening, then there was no reason to keep Holiday. So I think they did a great job from the Bulls yeah, side, at least. I, I, yeah, I'm with you. I think you know, getting two seconds, especially two from Memphis. We we don't really they're they're already starting to fall off a little bit this year. They who knows what they'll be next season. They you know kind of a messy cap sheet. They've got Gasol and Conley. You know injury concerns there. So. If they really start to, you know, fall apart here over these next couple of years, those could be pretty valuable high seconds. And I'm with you. They weren't going to get a first. If they were, it might have been one of those, you know, faked firsts. That's a, you know, top 25 protected or something like that. And then it's, you know, rolls over into two seconds. So, you know, I think getting two seconds and a guy like Selden that they can take a look at is is really, you know, good work for the Bulls. And I and and you touched on it right at the end. I like that they moved quickly here and. It and they're not fooling themselves into saying, well, maybe we can get back in this and, you know, guys are healthy and maybe we can make a run here. I think they're really, you know, realizing like this is it now, you know, next step is probably trade Robin Lopez, see what you can do there. And then, you know, obviously figure out something with Jabari Parker and, you know, that, that whole situation. But, but Pete, I want to stick with it for a minute, um, with the bulls for a minute here and go to you. So general thoughts from the bulls, but also campaign, you know, this was a guy they gave up. It, it, it was a complicated trade because they gave up Taj Gibson, Doug McDermott, and a second round pick. 
but it was one of those things where when they made the move at the trade deadline a couple years ago, it was Gibson was probably not part of the plans. McDermott had obviously fallen out of, you know, the things there for them. And that turned into looking at it like, you know, they did they give away too much to for for campaign back then. You know, we don't want to rewrite history. But, you know, that's got to be a disappointment for the Bulls, right, that he just never panned out. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know really what happened with Cameron Payne. Obviously, with OKC, you know, he had a lot of upside, and then the wheels just fell off. And I don't know if it's just he got exposed as more playing time happened, and it, he just doesn't have the skill level because he doesn't do anything well enough on the floor that you can say, okay, there's enough upside here that, you know, another team is jumping to take the chance on, you know, Cameron Payne. I think. You know, realistically, he is better served going to the G League for the rest of the season, try to build some some value back up, and then maybe, you know, do a short-term, like a one-year deal next year and try to play into that to a more uh, permanent deal, maybe a two-, three-year deal. Because right now, you know, he doesn't shoot the three well enough. His defense isn't there. Arguably, like Khan said, I don't know that he's a better passer than Wayne Selden. Um, who's not a point guard, and I, there's just nothing there that that screams NBA player in a solid rotation to me. Yeah, my guess is someone will take a shot on him that has a point guard injury and has a need here. You know, late, like like maybe one of those. You know, maybe he does a ten day contract or something like that. They try him on, and then maybe catches on for the rest of the season. But yeah, he's he's got a lot to show to to prove that he can be a rotation level player. Cause right now he is very much, you mentioned the G league, he's a fringe level guy, which is a disappointment for a mid round, you know, draft pick where he was picked in the first round. So let's flip it over to the Memphis side. So Memphis, obviously they, they, they tried to get involved in that trade for Kelly Oubre. They were looking for wing help. However, they could get it. And I, as much as I liked Oubre for them, I kind of like holiday for the, this season, better for them because he gives them some shooting, which is something this team, you know, is, it seems like perennially lacks. And, you know, they really need that. And Holiday made his debut, you know, in uh, well, last night's game. It was a loss to the San Antonio Spurs. Didn't shoot it too well, but that's only one game. So you're not too too worried about that. But, but Pete, I'm going to go back to you. Do you think Holiday helps Memphis? And more importantly, does he help them enough to get them back into the playoff picture in the West? I think he's a upgrade on both sides of the ball for – um, from Memphis over, um, oh, like a guy like uh, Marshawn Brooks, definitely, and I think he's a. Uh, I would say he's obviously a better shooter than than Wayne Selden. Um, but the only thing that I wonder is if Memphis will try to flip him again, um, so he may not be there long term. Just because if you if you look at how Memphis is constructed, their their benches. Is not the most stable uh, bench, and I, I don't know. I, I I'm kind of twofold on on where they go with Holiday because he's an upgrade on both sides of the ball, helps the bench there, but at the same time, they really like if they're not going to be in it as far as the playoffs, then they really need to develop some of the young players and you know kind of go that route. So I don't know, but right now, as you know, looking at it just as the trade is fresh. On paper, yes, he does help them on both sides of the ball. Yeah, I guess the challenge with you said develop the young players. The challenge is is what young players, right? It, it's really right. you're talking 
Jaron Jackson. I mean, he's already starting playing about as many minutes as he can handle. Dylan Brooks, Javon Carter, like that. That's really it, though, for for young guys. Even their their you know two way guy. We'll talk about this as we run through about a two way movement. They they moved on from DJ Stevens and brought in Jarnell Soaps, but he's not exactly a prospect level guy anymore either. He's you know a little bit older. I want to say he's. He's got to be at least 24, turning 25 tomorrow. So happy birthday, Jarnell Soaks. Um, So, yeah, it's it's I I think he's going to help. The problem is in the West right now, as I I thought I had it up, so I'm pulling it back up. So hang in there one second. The Grizzlies are now down to the 11th slot in the West, tied with the Mavericks and Timberwolves at 18 and 21. They've lost five straight after dropping last night's game to the San Antonio Spurs. Again, we're recording this Sunday morning, January the 6th, and they are now a full three games out uh, behind the Lakers. So that's that's going to be tough in in the West. It, you know, we've been kind of saying it all year. You lose three or four or more games or even win three or four games in a row, and you might move from middle of the pack in the Western Conference all the way you know, to out of the playoffs. And that's obviously what we've seen here with the Grizzlies. You know, now they, they maybe can get this turned around. It's, you know, one, one of those things that just, you know, we'll, we'll see. Con, you're probably the most familiar with Holiday's game from being a Bulls guy. What is it he's going to bring the Grizzlies? Um, it's just a role player that doesn't do too much. Uh, last year he took a bit too many shots, but that's because the Bulls didn't really have anyone and they were tanking and all that. So he was asked to do a little bit too much this year. All he was asked to do is defend and take shots and take a lot of them, um, from the outside. He makes quick decisions. Um, but when the decision isn't shoot the ball, he can't really do much off the dribble. Uh, so it usually just moves laterally to the next guy on the three-point line, um, which is kind of disappointing. His first step's pretty slow. He can't get to the rim too much, but uh, he is a good shooter, and you always need to worry about him pulling up at any point because on the catch-and-shoot, uh, he's really comfortable. Um, and he is shooting the ball fairly well this year he was extremely hot to start the year and it's just a guy who knows his role that's going to come off the bench give you wing minutes and it's going to be steady uh you can always kind of know what you're going to expect from him yeah and he's got pretty good size he's six foot six he can defend you know most guards i would say even you know hold his own against all but the you know but most uh, quick point guards, he you know can hang in there with those guys, and you know not not gonna switch up on a, anybody you know bigger than a standard wing, but you know can can do some things there. And that it's yeah, I think he was a little over his head the last couple of years with just you know rifling shots left and right, but that's you know kind of what he was asked to do, and you know he played played that role. So so it'll be interesting. There's a lot of people have talked about is he gonna start. You know, does he take Garrett Temple or Kyle Anderson's place in the starting five? I, I don't think Anderson. I think Anderson's too important to Memphis and what they want to do. Maybe Temple spot. We'll, we'll see. I think it kind of depends on, you know, where the season's going. And as Pete mentioned, the Grizzlies, if, you know, if this thing really isn't going well, they could flip him again to another team because teams are always looking for wings and wings who can shoot, especially so, you know, Holiday, you know, has that profile. The one thing to keep in mind, he can't be aggregated with anybody else, so no combining his salary, but he could go somewhere. And, and uh, Con, you mentioned it. I want to move on to to another team. You mentioned team that could have been in the market potentially for Holiday, the Houston Rockets. 
so this is kind of older news, but we haven't touched on it yet. So I want to talk about it here is they signed um, Austin Rivers uh, right, pretty much right as we were going into our break uh, for the holidays. They, they signed Rivers and brought him in and Rivers has played pretty solid for Houston so far. They waived uh, Joe Chi to do that. Uh, Chi just you know, wasn't healthy, hadn't worked out for the Rockets. So they moved on from him to bring in the backcourt help and Part in part that was you know necessitated by injuries to Chris Paul and Eric Gordon and uh, James Ennis and just a host of guys down for Houston. We'll talk about that a little later when we get into the injury updates where those guys are at. But but Rivers you know coming in and that you know maybe took Houston out of the market for the moment is the way way I'll put it put it there. But what what do you think about the Rivers addition to Houston, Con? Um, I think it's. It's a, it was a solid move for Houston because um, Austin Rivers is a decent player. It's just the Wizards situation was wasn't ideal for him. And you don't I think, say. <laughs> well, it isn't ideal for anyone really, and, and I'm sure we'll get there. Um, but Austin Rivers was a solid player with the Clippers. He just never earned the respect of anyone because his dad was the coach which was an issue for players and i can kind of understand that even from the player side um and then he goes to the wizards which is an awful situation and he can't re- he doesn't really fit in and he's asked to do a- he either does too much or is asked to do too much or isn't asked to do enough but he wants to do more and there's no defined role for him which wasn't good for his performance and then now with the with the rockets he's only played in five games um he is turning the ball over a lot less for cleaning the last 98th percentile in turnover percentage. Um, so he's he's not doing too much. His efficiency is actually average instead of just awful. Um, <laughs> so it's, it is a small sample size, but he's turning the corner. He's starting in place of Chris Paul. He's averaging 38 minutes a game almost for them. So he's playing a large role. And I just hope it continues because I always thought he's a good role player. Solid backup can start can start when there's injuries uh and now there's no my dad's the coach vibe around him so hopefully he can kind of settle in he's only 26 so i think just entering his prime this was a good move for the rockets pete what do you what do you think about what rivers has, has brought to the Rockets so far you know with houston it's, it's only been six games but he's you know hitting over 41 percent from three point and i think that's something that's really really important for him is if if he can knock down that three-point shot like that then he has a chance to really you know i think become the player we we hoped as his concept we all you know kind of liked his potential up at various points but now you know here he is you know in 38 minutes per game that's a little insane but so is their entire you know playing time for the roster but what do you think about rivers with houston pete I like Rivers' fit so far, and especially, obviously, like you said, with Chris Paul with the hamstring injury and then Eric Gordon with the knee injury. You've got Michael Carter-Williams, who I've never been a fan of, obviously, and um, you know, being a, a Sixers guy. And then you've got Brandon Knight, who just aren't players that you really can put, put on the floor. So Rivers' stability at that point guard position, even though he doesn't really pass, um, you know, he had 21 points last night, which, you know, gave them a boost. Um, I like his fit, but I questioned it at first just because I was like, well, he doesn't shoot it well enough to really stay on the floor, but you know, he's shown a willingness to actually somewhat defend for, you know, all the issues that he's had, you know, in the past. And I just look at it as once everybody's back healthy, then he'll be a, a solid, you know, rotation fit and, 
that's the only question mark I have because he's a little bit more of an outspoken player. So I don't know with so many, you know, good players, obviously James Harden, you know, Chris Paul and Eric Gordon kind of in front of him in that guard rotation, how many minutes he's going to get and if he's going to remain happy. But right now it's all roses uh, for the Rockets as they're really turning their season around. Yeah, you know, and that's a good point. We'll have to see because, as we know, Mike D'Antoni, when guys are healthy or even when guys aren't healthy and he's playing just whoever he has, he's only going to play eight guys. You know, it's just the reality of how his rotation works. And, you know, those eight guys are going to carry heavy minutes load. So we'll we'll see where that goes. Rockets, you know, we're, we're not going to spend a lot of time on them uh, today in this this episode, but they've really turned it around. They lost last night, but they had won either five or six in a row prior to that. They've won eight of their last ten. They're up to fifth place in the Western Conference. They're actually tied with the Clippers for fourth in there, you know, starting to put a little bit of pressure on those teams, you know, at the top of the conference, really round into the team we thought they would be and maybe they can challenge the golden state warriors who they were part of a little bit of news over the last week or so as well as their restricted free agent patrick mccaw who had not signed hadn't didn't sign his qualifying offer didn't sign any offer sheets had sat out all the the entirety of the season all the way until i believe it was new year's eve maybe the day before then he signed an offer sheet with the cleveland cavaliers two years six million dollars three million dollars flat per season and then the the warriors they they declined to match that so mccaw has joined cleveland now and his contract structured kind of you know it was a curious structure, three million this year, three million next year, flat both years, but fully non-guaranteed both years. Now this year, obviously, uh, guarantees tomorrow. So, so I know it's January tenth is a league-wide guarantee date, but if guys aren't waived by tomorrow, that means that their contract guaranteed because you have to clear waivers before the tenth. So. McCaw's not going to be waived. Obviously, he's going to get that three million. But that second year, three million fully non-guaranteed, and it doesn't guarantee until the tenth of of January two thousand twenty. So, you know, they've got quite a long time. And if the Cavs, you know, go a completely different direction and start selling off pieces, they can easily move on from this. So, so Pete McCaw to to Cleveland, he had sat out all year and. Various points where we really liked him with the Warriors. He was kind of, you know, always in and out of the rotation with them. So first couple of years in the NBA, then suffered a, you know, pretty big injury. But he seems to have worked his way back. Do you, what do you think about this for the Cavaliers? A good flyer for them? I like it as a good flyer because you know he's engaged defensively, which is a good thing. Always um, something, especially to, on that team. Good yeah, player. I was just about to say, always something they, you you want to have on a team that. That struggles, you know, to to build consistency. Yeah, I'm going to interrupt you real quick just because this is crazy. Their defensive rating is three points worse than the all-time worst defensive rating in in the like since that's been tracked in NBA wow. history. So that gives gives you a sense of how little defense the Cleveland Cavaliers play. And this is our uh, kind of concludes our fantasy minute. Get your guys in the lineup when they're playing Cleveland because, good mm. lord, they're terrible on that end of the floor. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> I think on on the other side of the ball, it's a little bit too early because I know a lot of people have thrown out the question of, oh, are they going to keep McCall, which I think is dumb because if you're going to take a flyer on him, you know, he's young enough and, and has enough potential that you keep him around for that uh, to guarantee his contract. But on the offensive side of the ball, it might take just a little bit just because, he, you know, he's been out of basketball. He had the scary fall at the end of last year. And then uh, I don't know really what behind the scenes exactly happened in Golden State. So mentally, I don't know how in, 
gauged he really is, you know, coming back in from such a long layoff. But I think that once he's in shape, you're really going to see the potential flourish. I know he had a, I think he only scored, what, two points um, the other night in his debut, but it was actually a really, you know, kind of unique two points, you know, nifty play there um, for him. But I, I just, overall, more so right now, I'd look at the defensive side of the ball and what upside he brings there. As crazy as that sounds, but, um, you know, good good flyer for Cleveland. Yeah, you know, and I think these are the kind of upside plays the Cavs need to make is, you know, they're they're they, they just don't have a lot, despite being a really terrible team, they don't have a lot of the guys like this on the roster. You know, McCaw comes in, he's 23 years old, you know, turns 24 right at the start of next season. So, you know, this is a guy who, you know, fit, give him a shot, see what, see what you can get out of him. If you can get, get things out, you know, get some good play or maybe, maybe even create a trade asset going into the summer, something like that, because that 3 million non-guaranteed contract, it'd count for zero in trade. That's important to remember under the, the current collective bargaining agree- agreement, um, any partial or non-guaranteed deal counts for whatever the guarantee amount is, you know, in a trade. So, you know, account for zero is a, is a little rough, but, you know, the team could take him in and then, you know, they could flip him and look at it and say, all right, let's move on. But really, other than Colin Sexton and Jetty Osman, there's just not a lot of young, true young talent on this roster. And I know someone out there is saying, what about Larry Nance? Well, Larry Nance turned 26 on uh january 1st so you know he's not he's not exactly a young prospect anymore so you know it's 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 worth it there con just real quick warriors made the right decision not to match here or would you have matched if you were golden state i personally would have matched okay um because i just i thought mccall played really well in his rookie year and then his his second year obviously he was not um he had a pretty awful second year, actually. I don't know what happened there. But once when you see those flashes, I think McCaw does have a future in the league. And I think the relationship got, just got too skewed the wrong way um, with the Warriors. So I can understand them declining. But me personally, yeah, I would have matched. I thought this deal is a great deal for the Cavs. I personally would have paid a little bit more. I would have jumped on him earlier. I'm pretty high on McCaw. I think he has a role in the league. All right, that's that's interesting. I, I I'm gonna guess from the Warrior side that their thought process on it was they've got Alfonso McKinney who's on a similar type contract but less money. Uh, then they've got Jacob Evans as kind of their developmental wing prospect there. They, you know, and they, those two guys are McKinney's in and out of the rotation. Evans isn't really playing at all. So so my guess is, and, and I'm, I'm thinking not thinking i know they they really didn't want to add three million in salary to the luxury tax and then you know they want to believe that equates out to about five or six million in real money uh potentially even more might might even be more might have been closer to 12 uh just because of where they're at is repeater team and then up in the higher tax bracket so that that's my guess is why they said it's just not not worth it and re- reality is they haven't had this guy all year long and you know they're 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 up and down this year a little bit more than usual but they're kind of chugging along and i think rounding into form so so we'll we'll see there now we're gonna whip through i am gonna go through these uh very quickly guys if you have anything just you know you know jump in and interrupt but but we're gonna get through these because there were a lot of other transactions just kind of a primer for what's going on in the league you heard me mention just a couple minutes ago that tomorrow january 7th is a league-wide um 
cutdown date. Basically, if if a guy's on a non-guaranteed or a partially guaranteed contract, has to be waived by the end of the day tomorrow. Otherwise, that contract will guarantee guarantee date not really until January tenth. But you have to be able to clear waivers before the tenth to get there. So that makes it tomorrow as the date these teams need to cut down. So we've seen a lot of back end roster moves with that. The other thing we've got coming up is the two way deadline. Deadline to sign players to a two way contract is going to be January the 15th, so a little over a week from now. So we're starting to see teams cycle guys in and out of two-way contracts. And then the last thing is effective yesterday on Saturday, January 5th, 10-day contracts can be signed. So teams with, with an open roster spot are able to sign players to a 10-day contract and bring guys in uh, to kind of try them out there. So so we're going to see a lot of these fringe moves going on on the back end of rosters here over the next really month or so, and then, you know, 10 days will really pick up post-trade deadline. But, but here we go. So the Washington Wizards, after they did make the trade with Phoenix, they had some roster spots to fill. They signed Chase on Randall uh, for, you know, to a, to a, non-guaranteed contract but it looks like they're going to guarantee him then they waived okara white and signed ron baker that one was a little confusing not really understanding what the thought process was there uh and then obviously they need needed some point guard help because john wall is out for the season which we'll talk about a little bit more when we get into the injury updates so that you know seemed to be the idea behind bringing in those two point guards denver nuggets made a couple of moves they waived nick young they, they had young on an injury exception that was due to expire as they are starting to get healthy again paul Millsap back gary harris back will barton getting close for the nuggets isaiah thomas getting close so so they moved on back into roster compliance as guys returned so nick Young was waived. They they waived Devon Akun Purcell from his two-way contract and picked up Brandon Goodwin to replace him on a two-way contract. Goodwin had previously been signed with the injury exception for the Nuggets. They obviously liked what they saw out of him, so brought him in on a two-way. The Bulls uh, making a making a move waived Tyler Ulis from his two way contract. Who Ulis guy a lot of people liked, but he wasn't healthy, just couldn't couldn't play really for the Bulls on that two way. And they added Brandon Sampson on a two way contract. The Oklahoma City Thunder waived Tyler Davis, big man, and then they brought in uh, uh, Dante Grantham. Um, to to replace him on the two-way grantham's a guy that they really like they had him in training camp and then with their g league team and he had been playing well and my guess is there there was probably some signs that he was going to get stolen away on a 10-day or potentially by another team on a two-way so the the thunder making that move the grizzlies we mentioned already waived dj stevens and then brought in jarnell stokes and then the brooklyn nets waved alan williams from his two-way sounds like williams had an opportunity to join a club in china that has not happened as of yet but big money for alan williams to go over and play out the rest of the season in china then he'll be a free agent about middle of march when when the chinese season ends and he can join a team and then we've got the phoenix suns made a move they waived eric moreland who they brought in on a non-guaranteed contract just kind of a depth guy for them they waived him and it sounds like they're going to be signing Quincy AC to a 10-day deal to bring him in to replace Moreland the Suns are right now they're not in roster compliance they, they've one less standard NBA contract than you need you have to have at least 14 and they need to bring somebody in so it sounds like 
Quincy AC is a guy who's coming in there. So, so you're going to continue to see this shuffle around two ways for another week or so until the two way deadline comes up and then 10 days and uh, all these things that this is, it's, it's a very busy time for the back end of the roster here. And then it'll obviously we're going to pick full up into trade uh, season here with a month to go to the NBA trade deadline. You know, with that, I do want to mention here's a good good point to pause. We are brought to you by CLNS Media. We're so excited to be part of CLNS as we relaunched the show about a month or so ago, uh, leading into the the, the month of December and then you know our two two week break you know like like we said we're back at it now you can expect us to be back here weekly going through all the trades and transactions and then after the trade deadline it'll be buyout season and then after buyout season we'll start into some of the offseason preview type of stuff with the show as well as talking what's still going on around the NBA so we're going to get into injury updates now really quickly where we're going to zip through these as well uh, the Atlanta Hawks Tory and Prince ankle injury sounds like he's getting close closer uh starting to ramp up practice a little bit but still considered day-to-day charlotte hornets they they suffered a couple big injuries jeremy lamb hamstring and then in that i think it was in the same game cody zeller broke his hand so he's gonna be out four to six weeks and zeller and lamb are two starters starting center and starting two guard for the hornets so pete can the hornets survive without these two guys it's going to be tough because Hernan gomez has to step it up defensively um you know obviously we know he can score and, and rebound um, and then you've got Bismack Biombo, who's really undersized at the center spot that doesn't give you anything offensively. Um, hey, like hey, <laughs> Biombo had 16 points on seven of 10 shooting last night. That's a fluke. He, he, no, he <laughs> makes the difference. He's a, they have been hiding him. He's an offensive weapon now. Uh, I, I just, <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel like because, you know, it is the East, I think they can, you know, stay in that, that, you know, six to, to nine range um, pretty easily, but it's going to be tough because they're going to have to play a lot of small ball and um, go that route, I think, for their for their best bet. And for whatever reason, the Hornets have been awful when Zeller misses time. You know, it's mm-hmm. not it, it, he's not an all star level guy, but he's just you know really solid in what they ask him to do. And they've been really bad uh, over the last few years when he's been out of the lineup. So that's something to keep an eye on there in Charlotte, Chicago. Con, you you mentioned they're back in the development uh, period. Sounds like they're you know appropriately placing the the right focus for the rest of the year. Bobby Portis, that looks like he's going to be back. So he's probable to play today for the Bulls. So that'd be good to get him back on the court for them. I think the Bulls just at this point, they've got to get get these young guys together and figure out what they have so they can sort through it. Then the Cleveland Cavaliers, Kevin Love, toe injury. He's out, looks like another one to two weeks or so, uh, mid-January before he'll be back. Uh, Con, is that enough time to kind of showcase that he's healthy for potential trade if that's the move, move the Cavs wanted to look at? I don't know if it's enough time. But it could definitely really hurt his value or just keep it steady. I really don't think it can boost his value in any way because I think anyone who's looking to trade for love already is expecting a certain level of performance and probably not much more. But coming off an injury, he's going to look worse and teams are going to want to pounce on a lower price point. So overall, the injury was never going to be a good thing for um, the Cavs. But coming back... At least teams will know that he's back and available to play and not uh, indistinct timetable for return, which would have been worse. 
But yeah, no, definitely, yeah. And I, th- I think, yeah, talent-wise, I mean, everybody knows what Kevin Love is, so you're just looking at, you know, is, is he healthy? And, you know, yeah, you're, you're right. It can only really kind of hurt because if he comes back and he's not ready to go, that could be a problem. Denver Nuggets, we mentioned them above. Will Barton, sounds like he's getting close to Isaiah Thomas. It's a little hard to know exactly where he's at. He, you know, just kind of, you know, posts these cryptic Twitter updates every once in a while. And it sounds like he's close. Maybe not. We'll see. But Denver, you know, definitely getting healthier as Millsap and Harris are back for them as well. Detroit Pistons, Ish Smith, who's really important to them as a backup point guard behind Reggie Jackson. He's out still and definitely with a groin strain. The Warriors to Marcus Cousins, Achilles injury. Sounds like he's getting closer. He's been on a couple NBA uh, G League assignments. And now he is, you know, maybe getting close so we'll see i would my guess is middle of the month to end of the month we'll start to see you know demarcus cousins worked in by the warriors houston Rockets. so we talked about this with austin rivers chris paul out with the hamstring injury eric gordon out with a knee injury brandon knight he's back but he's brandon knight so you know they're so there's this narrative that has developed that, that, you know, because they ripped off this long win streak with James Harden playing absolutely out of his mind, you know, at historically great levels, that the Rockets are better without Chris Paul. I'm going to say that's just foolishness. There's no chance that they're better without Chris Paul. I'm going to, I try not to do this, but I'm just going to open it up to both of you. Do either one of you agree that the Rockets are better without Chris Paul? Absolutely not. No, I think Chris Paul is going to see what Harden's been doing and take maybe a slight step back and be yeah. more of a secondary primary, primary, I mean, secondary playmaker instead of like a one B type playmaker, um, because he wants he's going to want Harden to go at it a bit more. But yeah, no way they're they're going to be better without Chris Paul. Yeah, you know what I was thinking about with this the other day, and I'm glad you mentioned that secondary. Remember how good the Rockets were with Patrick Beverly kind of just playing the defense and, you know, do things occasionally with the ball in his hands? Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, I think Chris Paul, if, if, it's it's tough because because he's you know obviously a Hall of Fame level guy and all of that stuff. But if he could be a better version of Patrick Beverly now at this point in his career, I think that helps him as well because it takes you know it, it allows Harden to be what he is, but it also allows Paul not to maybe push it so hard. I'm gonna be curious now with Rivers in the fold and if Gordon you know gets back and is ready to go. If if D'Antoni you know comes back off Paul as much, maybe, you know, plays him 30 minutes a night as opposed to, you know, 33 to 35. That'll be, you know, something to watch for there as we go. But, but all right, good. I'm glad we didn't have to prematurely end the show because when he wanted to make the <laughs> argument that they're better without Chris Paul, uh, the Lakers, LeBron James out with a groin injury. He's out, uh, so it sounds like next week is when he'll he'll return, maybe later this week. But, you know, sounds like next week. Rajon Rondo had to have surgery on his finger. That's They're saying late January maybe, but we'll see. Uh, I'm going to assume probably February before we see him again. Miami Heat, Goran Dragic is out until late February at the earliest. But that knee, that, that sounds like that's just trouble. And uh, I would be surprised how much we see of Goran Dragic the rest of the season. Minnesota, you know, injury bug which they just really can't afford is their trip. They've got a lot of ground to make up in the West. Robert Covington out with an ankle injury, Derek Rose ankle injury as well. Covington Thibodeau said the other day, it's going to be a while. So we'll see on him. Pelicans, Nikola Miritich has been out with an ankle injury for quite some time. So we'll see when he gets back day to day with him. Oklahoma city thunder, Andre Robertson knee 
injury. We talked this before, but you know, hasn't they, they haven't really established a timetable for him. So we'll see Marvin Bagley knee injury as well. He was supposed to be back by now, but now they've kind of left that more indefinite there. And then the Washington wizards. So, you know, it, it's just a mess in Washington. Dwight Howard out with the back injury. I'm, be kind of surprised if we see him play again this season. Market Markeith Morris with a neck injury. He is out indefinitely. So, you know, working on stuff there. And then John Wall, I touched on it briefly before. He is out for the season. And yeah, not to step on a piece that I am uh, writing for Yahoo Sports that will be out within the next couple of weeks, the least tradable contracts in the NBA as we approach the trade deadline. John Wall's deal is going to feature very, very prominently in that article, just as a little, uh, you know, foreshadowing there. But, but uh, Pete, I want to go to you. In Washington, I mean, for a host of reasons, but, you know, with Wall out now, is it really time for them to, to blow this thing up as much as possible and, and get it reset? Yeah, I firmly believe that because I, I feel like it's already a couple weeks too long. Like I, I feel like even though the East is is obviously a you know the weaker of the two conferences with Washington, they I mean this team just isn't there either on either side of the ball. Like you have you know a glimmer of hope in Tomas Sadoransky, and you know you're looking at obviously Bradley Beal as your you know your one B to John Wall's one A. Um, some people argue it's the other way around now. Um, but you got to really pinpoint guys like Otto Porter. You have to shed that contract. If you can somehow get off Jan Mahinmi, um, try to do that as well. At least get, you know, something back in, in you know, value for, for Porter that can give a glimmer of hope going forward that's not as um, bad of a contract that's going to lock you up to where you can't have any help in the future because without – John Wall in the lineup is already going to be tough, but then you add now the super max contract come in with a guy that has a history of injuries. It's not looking bright in Washington. Yeah. And they, they are, as we enter play today, they are three and a half games out of the final playoff spot in the Eastern conference, which says a lot more about the, you know, that race, uh, uh, what potato sack race uh three-legged race whatever you want to call it for those final east playoff spots because it's not much of a race um there so they, yeah i i mean i was there long before this that it was time for them to go in a different direction and now i think it absolutely you know should be a must that they start moving on from pieces there so all right here Keith, it is con yeah yeah let me say something about john wall just to yeah, give go ahead. maybe a slight glimmer of positivity. Oh there. man. Slight I'm glimmer. Um, now I want to hear this. So this is the last year of John Wall's uh previous contract, 19.1 million. He's obviously had this heel injury for at least this year and a couple seasons now from what he's been saying. Next year kicks off his $38 million a year contract for the next four years uh, with that player option and the last year for 47 million. If I were to pay John Wall that money. I want no sort of questions about injury, health, whatever. If it's going to be a bad contract, I want it to be bad in a vacuum. I don't want this random heel injury that's always been there being a question mark. Now that that's being taken care of, that was the one. I mean, I didn't know this was like a problem for years and that he needed surgery and that he's been putting it off. Maybe, just maybe, we'll get the old John Wall back because he's fully healthy and maybe he can live up to some portion, a bigger portion of that contract, if not all of it. That's just one glimmer of hope maybe to keep an eye on if you're not trying to be 
a Wizards fan and depressed for the next four or five <laughs> years. Um, I I do think that's just a possibility. No, that that is that is fair. It's 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 it is best to say basically right off this season. I know they they made the Ariza trade, hoping to you know maybe jumpstart things, but but yeah, obviously now they're looks like they've switched gears and said this season's done. Let's move on from this. So I, I I'm with you there. It is it is best you know, and that and that's that's your best hope, right? If you're you're a Wizards fan, is that you know, you get this thing cleaned up and John Wall can be the other guy. Yo, you really want him to be in. Yo, my my challenge is he's going to be 29 before the start of next season. 29 coming off a heel injury. A lot of times heel injuries are really Achilles injuries, which you know really makes me me nervous and worried because this guy if you know so much of his game is predicated on his, you know, his ridiculous, you know, athletic ability. If if that's not there, that that's scary you know and i'd be really worried you know to see where it goes but but yeah you know con i you know appreciate you keeping it positive uh, (laughs) someone had to right (laughs) so all right so we're we're not gonna make con repull the atlantic division stats for like the fifth week in a row (laughs) we're we're gonna actually do we're gonna talk the atlantic division so this is something we intend to do each week as long as there's not too much news and and now that we're into a weekly cycle we shouldn't have weeks and weeks worth to catch up on you know can't guarantee around the trade deadline that one may be you know might be be a little too busy but we're gonna go through through what we're calling division of the week first division is going to be the atlantic division and we're just going to go through by order of the standings where they stand today so we're going to start with the toronto raptors they are the best team in the atlantic division so con give us some of the details on the raptors where they stand yeah so these stats are from cleaning the glass um they are right now ranked sixth in offensive efficiency at 112.9 points per game, uh, 10th in defense, 107.9 points per possession. Um, and sorry, that was possession for offense as well. Um, and that amounts to a plus five net rating, and that ranks seventh in the league. And they are 29 and 12. They they won last night um, at the Milwaukee Bucks, and you know they they just kind of keep rolling along here. They're they're now it's a little odd. They're they're a half game ahead of the Bucks, but they're behind them in percentage because the Raptors have have already played 41 games, and the Bucks have only played 38. But Raptors exactly halfway point of their season. They're on a pace for 58 wins. If you you know go off where they're at today, so you know they're 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 looking pretty good. So ro- rotation wise for Toronto. What, what they're dealing with, and this is what why we skipped over them in the injury updates. Kyle Lowry's been out with a back injury. He's missed a lot of time over the last, really since since Christmas or so. He he's been you know kind of dealing with this back injury for a while. And then uh, Jonas Valanciunas has a broken hand. He's going to be out for or broken thumb. I, I can't remember which one it is, but he's going to be out for you know a little while longer as well. So they've they've really kind of settled into a occasionally they're they're spotting guys rest. But they've settled in a starting lineup of Serge Ibaka, Pascal Siakam, Kawhi Leonard, Danny Green, and Fred Van Vliet, with the main reserves being uh, Norman Powell, OG Ananobi, DeLon Wright, CJ Miles, and then Greg Monroe has slid into the rotation with Valanchunas out. So the, the Raptors' depth really showing off here as they're you know, continuing to win games and play well. They hit a little, little bit of a bump in the road before that win in Milwaukee. But Pete, what are, what are your thoughts on the Raptors? Are they basically what you expected them to be are they better they can't can't imagine they're worse than what you thought they might be 
Uh, they're obviously better. I, I'm really surprised because I wasn't sure how Nick Nurse coming in, obviously, you know, had control of the offense last year, um, how they were going to play, obviously, with him as a new coach. And then Kawhi coming in, all the rumors of like Kawhi really doesn't want to be there. He wants to be in L.A., how that's going to affect um, the on-court play. And then obviously Kyle Lowry kind of in his so you know sulking state at the beginning of the year because of the DeMar DeRozan trade. But they've, you know, fared really well. Obviously, Serge Ibaka, um, you know, career highs in, in mid-range field goal percentage, um, really having a great year, turnaround year, because it, it seemed like, you know, he was an afterthought um, in, in Toronto. Many people were saying he should, you know, be traded. He's not, you know, doing that great on either side of the ball. Well, he's proven that very wrong this year. Um, Jonas Valanciunas, really good year in and out of the starting lineup. Now with him being injured i just i feel like their big man rotation really took a hit but they played better than i thought they would because when i saw greg monroe you know there i was like okay are we gonna get greg monroe that can give you you know 15 points you know six rebounds you know pretty quickly or are we gonna get the greg monroe that really kind of acts like he doesn't really want to be out there and you know he's kind of been hit or miss um you know throughout the season but i think they've held it you know, pretty well because um, you've got Pascal Siakam, obviously the breakout player, you know, for Toronto. Norman Powell has played considerably well in the rotation um, when he's healthy. And then for me, Fred Van Vliet is really stepped up, you know, able to to shoot the ball well and, and control the offense, especially with Kyle Lowry being out. And I think, you know, the win last night over Milwaukee really kind of shows where they are as a dominant team in the East. Yeah, you know, and I think this team, as I just kind of off the top of my head, scanning around the rosters, they're probably the deepest in the NBA and um, mm-hmm. or NBA rotation caliber point guards. They, you know, with Lowry, Van Vliet, and Wright, those are all guys that could you know, could have, do, you know, start games for, for teams. I think, you know, them, it's probably them in Boston, Oklahoma city with uh, Westbrook and Schroeder there there's, you know, point, point guards, a really deep position, but, but the Raptors have three really good ones that you can rely on, you know, at any point. And I, you know, please Rockets fans. I don't want to hear the, you know, what about Chris Paul and James Harden? I mean, that's a different situation. Harden's not, you know, it's a point guard and offense, not really a point guard. These guys are all more true point guards, you know, and then the Nets they're you know, Russell and Dinwiddie, but you know, it, it is, you know, interesting there. So uh, what I wanted to ask you, Con, and I'm putting you on the spot a little bit here, but is Pascal Siakam the most improved player in the NBA? Yes. Um, I don't know if it's most improved this year, but I think he is the one that took the leap from just a regular old like role player off the bench kind of guy to potential star. I think he's going to have an even bigger leap um, next year because this this year with Kawhi and Lowry and kind of the new team, he's kind of growing and getting... The craziest thing about Siakam is that he started playing basketball when he was 16. Yeah. Um, and if you all didn't check it out already, but he was on the low post and that was just an awesome uh, podcast, but he, he's going to, I don't know, man, he, this guy can be the second best player on this team after Kawhi Leonard. I wouldn't mind in three to four years if he was my best player on the team, because he just has that length, that ball handling, that finishing. And he's still so young in his basketball career that I don't even know what he's going to be like in his prime. 
Yeah, you know, I think his ball handling has been really good this year. He's really improved that. I think he's starting to figure it out as a passer, and that'll be you'll open up things. And then once he and he's his shots getting okay-ish, I guess is the best way to put it. Is you know, if he can start you know knocking down you know the occasional jumper to keep defenses honest, you know, the one thing he does, which he's still you know as you said, he's a young player and he you know came to basketball late. He still is prone to these these moments where he gets completely out of control, and then he's you know throwing the ball, you know, seven rows deep or dribbling it off his foot or running himself into charges and things like that. But, but I think that's almost kind of okay. Cause I think that keeps, keeps opponents off balance with what he is. So, you know, the Raptors for me are, I, I think last night they showed that they even down a couple guys. So if they get back to full health, I think they're right now the best team in the Eastern conference. I think it's their, their depth. I think their versatility, they can go to a lot of different lineups. I think Nick nurse has really made the, the transition, you know, really well. And I don't mean to slight the bucks at all. Cause the bucks have played, you know, phenomenally, but I think the bucks have just, they've come up short a couple times against the better teams in the East. Now I know they'd beaten Toronto twice previous, but now, you know, Toronto got them, you know, on their home floor. They've got one more matchup uh, later this year. And then, you know, Boston beat Milwaukee pretty badly. And then they played a close game on the Celtics were down some guys. So hey, I, I think Milwaukee, they're, they're very, very good. Don't get me wrong. And then just so we don't get accused of leaving them out, the Indiana Pacers are terrific. They're, you know, 26 and 12. They won six straight games. They, they are really, really, really good. And everybody's sleeping on them. And as Pacers fans remind me, that's okay. Don't talk about us. We're good. You know, don't, don't, don't worry about it. So I think, you know, just to give them their shout out. So uh, we'll move on now to the, to the second place team in the Atlantic division, the Philadelphia 76ers. And, you know, Pete, I know you got some thoughts, but hang on just for a minute while Con give us, gives us where they stand stat wise. Yeah. So uh, 26 and 14, they are 12th in offensive rating at 110.9 points per possession, um, 11th in defensive rating, 108.4 points per possession, and that amounts to a 10th ranked net rating at plus 2.5. And, and we want to make sure we mention, and Con, correct me if I'm wrong here, we're using clean in the glass because they filter out the garbage time yes, data. Yes. It's, it's, yeah, it's only the kind of relevant data. So we like they to use clean They also filter out heaves, uh, like oh. long. Yeah, good to know. So, I didn't know that. So that's yep. good to know too. Yeah, well, which that should just be a rule. Good lord, if if don't count it as a miss for guys if they take a shot behind behind half court because it's like one of the most fun things in basketball and we just don't get to see it enough. So uh, that that's that's a very short jump on the soapbox there, real quick. So so just to get into their rotation, they they're a little banged up is i guess the best way to way to put it for them wilson chandler's you know battling some 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 stuff i think that's just kind of who wilson chandler is right now jimmy butler's had a couple of injuries as well as an illness and then markel fultz his his agent recently came out and said he will return from the shoulder injury this season we'll see i i don't mm-hmm. know uh zaire smith he he's obviously still out uh i'd be surprised if we see him at all this year and then justin Patton, he's not going to play so so they're they've really really been short especially you know since they made the trade for butler the rotation's been short a couple guys anyway and they really haven't done anything to date i don't think they're they're in a rush to make a trade i think they're more you know looking at the buyout market there but that but that's putting a lot of pressure on joel and b what they've been you know really going with their kind of standard starting lineup since the trade has been Embiid, chandler butler reddick and simmons then with mcconnell muscala and Korkmaz and shamit as their their backups jonah 
Jonah Bolden's been getting more playing time as of late. He's really kind of surpassed the veteran Amir Johnson in the rotation. He's, he's starting right now next to Embiid. So, Pete, I want to throw it over to you because there was a recent story that just came out in the last couple of days that Jimmy Butler is challenging Brett Brown on his role in the offense. And I'm just going to chalk it up to it's Jimmy Butler being Jimmy Butler. This guy I think is just destined to be unhappy, but does that worry you as a Sixers guy or or you, or was this expected? I expected it. And that was my biggest worry of how he was going to fit because you've got, obviously he's, you know, Jimmy Butler's competitive, you know, has a, you know, big ego. And then you've got Joel Embiid who obviously, you know, is a funny guy on social media, but then is really serious on the court and wants to be the, you know, the best player. You add that mix with Ben Simmons, who also has a high um, ego. Those three together really, really worried me going into the trade. And now it's worse. Now, obviously the media blows up, you know, issues more, you know, than sometimes than they need to be. But I think that, you know, with this coming out so quick, it it really, you know, questions whether you should bring back Jimmy Butler. Add in Jimmy Butler saying that he wants to be done with basketball before he's 35. So it's like when you're looking to sign him to a five-year deal, it's like, how is this going to work out? Like, is he going to ask for a trade a year from now whenever things aren't, if they're not going right? What if the Sixers get bounced early in the playoffs? Where do they, what do they, you know, look to change? I would much rather, you know, move off of a guy like Jimmy Butler and go, you know, for, you know, some better fits, you know, and we'll talk about that at another time as far as who really would, would fit in there specifically. But this season, the question mark for me is what are they going to do as far as a bench? Because their bench is bad. Like, you're you're banked at the beginning of the season on Marco Foltz stepping into the ro- starting rotation. You had JJ Reddick coming off the bench. I was like, okay, that kind of gives you a little scoring punch off the bench. Now, you know, as good as as Shamit and Corkmas have been um, off the bench in, in various areas, it's just not enough to me. They need another um, defensive guard. They need more of a you know big man that can get rebounds, play some defense. And then you need another shooter. And it's funny because last year we had Bellinelli, we had Urson, and everything worked perfectly as far as veterans in the locker room. We don't have that this year. And I just, I just feel like with the lack of depth and then everything that you're putting on Embiid, it, it's going to end up in, in a little bit of a letdown um, going in later in the season if they don't improve it because Embiid's just going to be too tired come playoff time and – I don't know. Um, I hate to not be optimistic because I love the Sixers. Obviously, you know, was born in Philadelphia, lifelong fan. But it's just trending more to me to a worrisome state than a, you know, oh, I'm happy. This is great. You know, we have our future core together. Yeah, you know, I, a couple of things I think on the team as a whole, I think it is starting to become more and more clear that they are the fifth best team in the Eastern mm-hmm. Conference. I think they're, you know, clearly behind Boston. You know, Joel Embiid would be the first one to say they're behind and Boston beats them every time. You know, Toronto, they're definitely behind them, definitely behind Milwaukee. And I think Indiana is probably better than them right now. And that's just because they might Indiana doesn't have the same level of frontline talent that Philly has, but their depth just all the way throughout is just so much better. And I think in a seven 
seven game series, that's going to really stand out, you know, as, as we get into it. And obviously they're not a finished product. There's, there's moves that can be made. So Khan, I want to ask you that. Is there somebody, I know you, you know, as you know, part of just your, your fandom of basketball and your prep and your prep for the bench mod pod bench mob podcast is, um, you know, you guys look at a lot of different trades and things like that. Is there a, a guy you have your eye on that you like that somebody Philly should go get? Well, interestingly enough on our Mavs, uh, mock trade line that we had this past week, uh, I made a move as Philly, uh, for Maxi Kleba sending out a top 20 protected first rounder for them. And I think they're in a very Houston rocketsy type situation where, I think they should be shopping around their first rounder uh, and protected like top 15 or top 20 or whatever uh, to get a wing player. Dorian Finney-Smith was another player on the Mavs that we discussed quite a bit. And if the Mavs do want a first rounder, since uh, there's has a chance of conveying or a high chance of conveying to the Hawks, mm-hmm. um, they might want to get into the first round. So those two players, the Philly needs a backup wing and a backup big. And those needs, I think, also exacerbate these uh, chemistry issues. Once you have guys, and I didn't look out uh, buyout candidates as much, so um, once I look into those a little bit more, I'm sure there's a bunch of names that'll come up. But they'll they'll get a player or two on the buyout, maybe a trade using that first rounder. And then once you have more players and more depth, then rotational issues can be solved a little bit more too. If Jimmy Butler does want to be more prominent in um, his offensive role, then maybe you play him without Simmons and Embiid with uh, actual role players that can play. And he can he's shown to take a team full of role players to the playoffs by himself with the Bulls. Um, and so if you have that type of play uh, that type of lineup out there with Jimmy and then you have your Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons and JJ Redick type lineup which was one of the best in the league last year um then you have then it works and I don't think this settling into fifth place um like you mentioned that Keith maybe in the regular season maybe in the past 10 games they're settling into that but this is not a regular season team this is a playoff team and just like Indiana's super they're really good right now and they're really deep. I don't think the depth is going to matter as much. I mean, when Kawhi locks up Oladipo, they, they're not going to really have much to do. And then when Jimmy Butler is playing defense on Oladipo, like all you need to do with the Pacers is lock up Oladipo. And then I don't know. It's it, the Pacers don't scare me as much in the playoffs than the other four teams do. And I think Jimmy's a difficult character, but I feel like they're going to figure it out and be one of the final four teams in the East remaining. Yeah, no, and it's it's tough because I think you're right. I think they are built to be a playoff team. I think that makes a lot of sense. The one thing that I am kind of curious to see, and you kind of touched on it there, is I would like to see them take almost a rotational change where Butler is maybe one of the first subs out, and then you bring him back with the second unit without Simmons and Embiid. Let him play with you know a defensive-minded big and some shooters and really let him be the playmaker and let him do some things, you know, get a five six minute stretch you know you know either late first into the early second or early second and then early fourth then get him back out and then bring him back in and you close with all three of your main guys plus you know shooting around them i think that that could make a lot of sense there one thing i do want to touch on before we move off philly i'm starting to get the sense that markel fultz this is going to play out similar to last season when you had a lot of philly fans saying Oh, well, they're going to bring in, um, you know, Fultz. We got Fultz. He's going to be a weapon for the playoffs. 
I don't think you can count on anything from him. Even if he comes back, you're just okay. He's he's back, but you're not counting on him giving you anything, you know, productive this year. And that's because that's not fair to do to the kid. That's not fair to say, all right, so you've been out all this time. Now come back and you know, kind of carry us home here, young fellow. Like that's not not gonna happen. So so it's interesting. And one name that keeps kind of coming back around in my mind, and I'm not reporting any interest here, but I'm thinking could make some sense for this team. And I know some will cringe and some will get excited. If the Bulls move on from Jabari Parker, I think he's a guy who could make some sense for Philly for a rest of the season deal. Just pick him up. If you know, if the Bulls decide to buy out Parker, pick him up because it's not going to cost you anything. It's going to be a rest of the season minimum deal. And he could give you a little bit of scoring and rebounding on that second unit, you know, kind of similar ish to Ilyasova, just a different style of player, but you know, there's, there's just, yeah, looking around. I, I do like those two guys, Kleba and um, Finney Smith, though. I, I like those two guys for for them. Those two guys would make a lot of sense, easy to trade for as well, because they're on minimum contracts. So, you know, it's, it's, the Philly roster is not a finished product by any means. So it'll be curious to see where they go the rest of the way. All right. Now let's get to them. The Boston Celtics, they are still in third place in the Atlantic division. The Celtics are still on this roller coaster season. They're five and five in their last 10 games, 23 and 15 overall fifth place in the Eastern conference. They are starting to make up some ground though. They're, they're a game behind or two games total behind Philly, but a game behind in the lost column, only three out behind the Raptors and Pacers in the lost column. Now the Celtics, I think starting to figure it out. And I think the, the kind of, uh, the, the more uh, the ratings and net rating bear that out, right, Con? Yeah, uh, they're right now they clawed their way back up to top 10 in offense, ninth right now at 111.3 points per possession. And then um, they did see a slight fall off after their really hot start in defense, but they found their way back again. Uh, they're still at fourth uh, in the league at 105.2 points per possession, which amounts to a third in the league best uh, net differential at plus 6.9. But uh, their win differential on cleaning the glass, they're third to last, so at negative 2.6. So they've been unlucky in uh, some close games is what that usually tells us. Yeah, unlucky and bad against bad teams. Yeah. That's the, <laughs> you know, that's the, the thing is that they have not banked all these wins against these bad teams that they, they should. They've, you know, they, they dropped a game to Phoenix. They dropped a game to to Dallas. They've, you know, they, they've lost, they've had some, they've got some bad losses on their ledger. And I think if you clean those up, that's, you know, where, where you'll start to see the Celtics, you know, be better. Now they're, they're, you know, they've gone through their own, you know, host injuries. Al Horford is back now after having some knee uh, soreness. that kept him out for a couple of weeks. Aaron Baines is out though. He's got a broken hand. He's probably at least a couple weeks away, if not a little bit more. Kyrie Irving and Marcus Morris are both out. Irving's dealing with an eye injury. Morris with a neck injury. Neither one sounds serious, so they should both be back in the lineup probably for their next game, which is Monday night. And this is really, you know, the Celtics are doing what they do. They're down guys, and then they miraculously play better. It's the most ridiculous math problem I've ever seen. I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense, but it's been this way for multiple years. And they're really their last game, they started Terry Rozier, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Al Horford, which I posited is their best possible defensive lineup. I think it's very switchable. They're quick. They're long. They really get after things. It's not their best lineup because it doesn't involve Kyrie Irving. All their best lineups involve Kyrie, and this year really involve Marcus Morris. But the Celtics are starting to figure 
figured out one thing that is really positive. Gordon Hayward really looks good. Mm-hmm. And he's looked good now for the better part of a few weeks. He, you know, he had an off game, but it's, it's funny with Hayward. He has an off game and now everybody's, you get, it divides into two camps. It's, it's going to take time. It's going to take time. And then any of these people, he sucks. He's not worth that contract. Get rid of him. You know, and it's really, the reality is, Guys have bad games. It happens. I think Hayward is mostly back now, though. I think he's you know, really playing pretty well. Almost had his first career triple-double the other night in that game. And in the Celtics' depth is kind of showing off a little bit here, too. And one thing beyond Hayward being back that I want to call out because it's it's one of those things we have said for years. If Marcus Smart can go from being an absolutely terrible shooter to just a passably okay shooter, what a difference it would make. He's up to almost 34% from three-point range this season. And this has been a kind of a consistent thing for him, you know, now for the better part of a half a season. That's where he's going to be at. That really starts to change the math, you know, for them a little bit. And, you know, he's, you know, really, you know, play. He's, for my money, he's playing at a defensive player of the year level, you know, on, on the defensive end. That's how good he has been for the Celtics. He's just, you know, getting after guys, locking guys up, you know, all the time there. And, he, you know, much improved as a playmaker. And as I mentioned, as a shooter. So, Pete, as you're looking at it, are you – you're, you know, the Philly guy, Philly's just ahead of him. Talked about Toronto. Where do you think the Celtics are sitting? If you were looking at it today and you had it projected forward, where would you say they are heading into the playoffs in terms of kind of your East power rankings? I would put them slightly behind Toronto, but ahead of Milwaukee and the rest of the pack. I think once they can get completely healthy, I think just the mix in uh, of players that they have is just too good to be, you know, marginal, you know, as far as like fourth or fifth in the East, you know, you got Marcus Morris, who is obviously, you know, having a career year, um, you know, very good shooting from the three point range. Um, Horford or Hayward, as you said, is, is back now. The question, the two question marks that I have is what's going to happen with Terry Rozier and then with Jalen Brown, are we ever going to see Jalen Brown? I know he had like a 30-point game um, a few games ago, but are we ever going to see the confident score that you know Jalen Brown was in the playoffs last year? Are we going to see that, or is he going to you know, kind of be the up-and-down player that he's been this year? I think that with getting everybody healthy is going to be the keys to the season because with this much depth on the team and Brad Stevens is coaching – the sky's the limit with the Celtics this year. Yeah, you know, and as we uh, you know talk about it, as everyone knows, I cover the Celtics for Celtics blog as part of SB Nation. And one of the things is, so to touch on both of those, Terry Rozier has obviously established that he's much better as a starter. He just plays more confidently. He's more comfortable. That's not going to happen. Kyrie Irving is the far better player, and Kyrie Irving is this team's you know, starting point guard. So, that does put into a question is, do you look to move Rozier at the trade deadline, you know, or do you hang on to him? What's going to happen? I find it very hard to believe he's going to be on this team next season. The only way I think that happens is if for some reason everything changed courses and Kyrie Irving says, I want out. I don't want to be here anymore, which I don't think is coming. Then maybe that would make sense to move on from Rozier. But yeah, we'll see where that goes. What? And then as far as Jalen Brown goes, Go back and look at his last couple weeks. He's really started to play well. 
I think he's really starting to figure some things out. He's being aggressive, you know, with the ball in his hands. He's making plays at the rim again. He's taking his jump shot very confidently. He's had, you know, a string of good games now. So I think Jalen Brown, you know, might be back. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see you know, where they go. Con, I want to ask you the same question because obviously I'm very close to the Celtics covering them. Pizza Philly guy. Where, where do you have the Celtics in the, you know, kind of, if you were projecting forward heading into the playoffs, where do you have them in the East? Well, for me, it's really, and I've been saying this for a couple weeks now, I think it's a toss-up between those top four teams, really. I don't think the Raptors are ahead. I don't think the Celtics are ahead. I think the Bucks, Sixers, Celtics, and Raptors, and I know Pacers fans are going to get really mad at me, but um, I think it's a toss-up between those four, and the Celtics are right in that mix. I think there's a couple things uh, the Celtics might regress towards or come back down to um they are eighth in the league at corner three frequency but they're last dead last in a percentage so i think that's going to turn around with jalen brown shooting like sub 30 percent from three i don't think that's going to continue marcus morris is has been really hot this year but he's shooting uh pretty poorly from the corners uh, sub 30% actually from the corners. So that's going to probably improve. Um, one thing that it does worry me a little bit is they are fourth to last in the league in allowing three pointers um, taken. And they're also third in defense in uh, terms of field goal percentage. So allowing that much does tend to be worse than stopping teams from making them because i mean sometimes it's just luck in that regard and obviously i would need to look into open and percentage of open shots and contested shots and stuff to get a real look at that but the three-pointers is going to change and that just means it's more high variance with the celtics team um but jalen brown is has been turning it around i think jason i think tatum is gonna improve uh, off of his struggles in starting the season um I'm just really interested in when they bring back the Tatum and Brown and Hayward in the starting lineup. If that happens, because that death lineup or whatever of Irving, Tatum, Brown, Hayward, and Horford has kind of gone by the wayside because they're so successful without it. Um, So we'll see when that comes to play, because I think those five guys are their best players. Yeah, and that, that's that was obviously the hope, right? That was the hope was that they would start with that lineup last season, and then that was the the starting lineup this year, and it as you said didn't really work out, and they they had a lot of struggles. So, yeah, that that's I think their goal is to get back to that and see it more often. But I think now you know he's obviously established Marcus Smart's going to be a part of any you know successful probably closing uh, lineup for for him they're um they're plus 7.5 with smart on the floor and then they're plus uh they're just plus 3.8 when he's off so it's almost a four point point swing which is pretty pretty huge for you know a guy whose stat line often you look at it and it does it's just very you know confusing and then just one other thing on the gordon hayward uh piece they're plus 4.1 with him on the court they're negative 3.3 when he's off so that's a you know swing of over seven points you know and that that kind of speaks a lot to you know how good he has been you know there as you you look at it so it's you know really you know one of those things where i think for the celtics there's a lot of 
lot of options. I like that they've got the versatility to kind of do whatever it is, you know, they, they need to set up there and, and, and go with. And it is funny you mentioned those the, the corner threes, you know, watching the team all the time. It is one of those things where it's like, good Lord, they're supposed to be the easiest three-point shot in basketball. And the only two guys you have faith making them are, you know, Kyrie and Hayward and everybody else. It's like, you're shooting under 30%. I guess Tatum's up there as well. So it's like, what, what are we doing here? You know, how are we missing all these? And that's one of the things – uh, again, Celtics uh, fans will tell you over and over again, this team misses, has missed a ton of wide open shots. It's been you know really a problem you know for most of this first half of the season. It's just been one of those things where it's you, you can't really explain. It doesn't make a lot of sense, and it's you know kind of head scratching to to even try to you know put it into a context. And then the other thing you mentioned on the, the defending three pointers. It's, I wrote a long piece about it for Celtics blog about how they do defend three-pointers because they've been a top 10 three-point defense for over a decade now, which is you know really unheard of. They're, they're Generally, they're in the top five, if not all the way at the top of the league. So that's one of the things to you know, really kind of be um, you know conscious of is they, they do it a little bit different. I'm not going to step all over the piece. You can search it, search um, you know Keith Smith, Celtics, three-point defense and then it'll it'll pop up there because they do teach it a little differently it's something that started with doc rivers and tom thibodeau and then stevens has amped up kind of taken an approach he you know really kind of pioneered at butler with it and is amped up you know the way they 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 teach to defend the three-pointers there so you know the the celtics are, are there it's um you know one thing i want to talk about with the east is we all kind of laugh about the east and how you know terrible it is at the bottom and you know all this and that but i think these five teams are all really, really good, you know, and, and you, you can have your doubts on the Pacers maybe, or you know, it sounds like maybe Pete and I are a little down on the Sixers a little bit, but you know, these five teams are as good. They're as good as the top five in the West. I, you know, I, I don't think there's much question about that. Yeah. The bottom is kind of a joke, but I think the second round and beyond of the the playoffs is going to be really, really good, which should be, you know, a lot, a lot of fun for everybody. One of those teams in that bottom half that's starting to make their way up and move, move up and they're starting to play better. They're seven and three in their last 10 games, 19 and 21 overall. Now is the Brooklyn Nets. They are, you know, sitting in the seventh spot in the Eastern conference as they've, you know, played a little bit better, but I think that the, the kind of net rating there might, might bear out that they're maybe a little worse and maybe they're right on. Where are they at con? Yeah. So they're also just in that one game bunch between the Nets, Hornets, Pistons and Magic. <laughs> so it seems like those are going to be the teams, especially with the Wizards being right outside of that group yeah. and they're heading the other way. It seems like those four teams are going to be vying for those last um, playoff spots. And real, real quick before yeah. you get into the stats, the the Magic, this is kind of, I know we're not in the Southeast Division, but the Magic, this is a real make-or-break stretch for them. They're out on the West Coast right now. They've got the Clippers, Nuggets, and maybe Jazz. I think it might be coming up here, so that's going to be really tough on them. And then they've got, then they come back home, back-to-back home games next weekend, and it's Boston and Houston. So this is, they can survive that stretch with maybe two wins over the next five games then all right i say the magic king in this thing the whole way but it's more likely that we might be uh writing them off by the time we talk about the magic next but let's get back to the nets 
Yeah, the Nets, uh, 14th in offensive rating at 110.4 points per possession, uh, 21st in defensive rating at 111.3 points per possession, which amounts to um, a 20th ranked net rating at negative 0.9. However, I did want to get into their uh, hot streak right now in their past 14 games. They're 11 and 3, and that's tied for third um, in the league. They're fifth in offensive rating during that span at 112.9 and second in effective field goal and true shooting. So they're, they've are they been on fire uh, these past 14, 15 games. Um, they are 20th in defensive rating, so their defensive struggles are still apparent uh, in this in this hot stretch here, um, but they are winning by only an average of 2.4 points per game. So they are winning a lot of these close games in this past stretch. So let's see if that continues. Yeah, it seems like every time you watch the Nets, it's coming down to the final yeah. player two. You know, every single game, and, and they're it, winning all of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And their their defense that doesn't really surprise me. I think the probably the only plus defender really that plays for them regularly is Jared Allen. I think Damari Carroll is probably an average defender. Rondé Hollis Jefferson never really developed into the kind of lockdown guy they had hoped for. Trevion Graham is back now. And I think maybe he can give them a little bit of help. You know, on the wing, he's got some decent size, some decent bulk to him, but that's really it. You know, it's mostly going to be, you know, about their, their offense and getting it up and down the floor and really, you know, taking and making a ton of three-pointers as it stands right now for the Nets. Guys who are out with injuries, Alan Crabb still out, you know, some knee issues. Karis LeVert working his way back, but out. And then Hollis Jefferson's been out as well. So that's really kind of left them shorthanded. So they've been going with Jared Allen. Jared Dudley is starting now with Hollis Jefferson out. Rodian's Kirks is in there. He, he's he been starting for quite a while. Joe Harris and D'Angelo Russell. And then their bench, they go to it a lot. Spencer Dinwiddie, Ed Davis, and Damari Carroll are the primary guys. And Shabazz Napier getting back in there. Trevion Graham, as I said, just getting back from an injury. And then Kenneth Fareed doesn't barely ever play but he played the other night and ripped off a double double so you know but i guess take that for what it's worth but but p i know you know this is a team that we've you and i have talked about before in the past and mm-hmm. kind of expected to to take a step do you think this this stretch con mentioned what'd you say con 14 and 3 over oh, the last 17? 11 11 and 3 over the last 14 three. yeah okay so 11 and 3 is that do you think that's yeah that they're not going to win at that level but do you think this they're for real for the rest of the season? Yeah, I think they're trending upward. I don't know that they necessarily make the playoffs, but it's really encouraging. Obviously, Spencer Dinwiddie's played out of his mind this season, so that helps. Um, once they get Karis LeVert back, if um, they're able to get him back, you know, say late February or so, then I think they can make a little short run there. Um, but what's been encouraging is, like, Keurig's, um starting his, you know, if he can really increase his range consistently out to the three-point line and knock those down. I think that's going to kind of boost him up even more, but I like what I've seen um, from him in the lineup. Um, what's troubling is, obviously, I know, you know, you get on social media, fans kind of, you know, up in arms about everything. Well, at one point, it was fire Kenny Atkinson. You know, <laughs> he's not doing anything for this team. And then they rip off this run, and it's like, oh, he's the best coach one of the the brightest coaches in the NBA, and it's like, come on, you know, the team got hit with injuries. But what with injuries, I think what worries me is Hollis Jefferson because I don't know how long you can sustain, you know, playing Jared Dudley big minutes uh, without him kind of breaking down. And I love Jared Dudley, what he can bring, but I just I don't know the wear and tear 
Um, so I'd like maybe if if they can um, try to get you know somebody like a Shabazz Napier maybe move him for for something um, at the deadline. You know I know that's kind of limiting if if Dinwiddie or or Russell goes down with injury, but I think it's worth it to to get another guy that can stretch the floor and give you a little bit of defense in there um, to help them, you know, kind of w- with the death at, at power forward, if, if Hollis Jefferson is going to be out and then Jared Allen um, has been sensational this year. Um, and I don't know, just real quick plug. I don't know how many of our listeners listen to um, Jack Manuel and Nick Faye of off the glass, but they do off the glass and they talk about Brooklyn a lot and Jack has um, the Brooklyn Buzz, which I've you know been fortunate enough to be a guest on. They really break down in depth the Brooklyn Nets if you really really want to hear um, a lot more in depth stats and and you know critique of the team. No, it's good to know. And one thing I'll say with Jared Allen is go ahead and try to keep dunking on this guy because this guy's going to come. He's going to challenge everybody at the rim, and I love it. I'm you know. Good for him, man. When we look back and, you know, the guys, you know, I know I grew up with Pete, I think a little less. And then con, you probably catch him on the way back machine on NBA TV, <laughs> but guys like, you know, Dikembe Mutombo and Olajuwon right. and Robinson and Ewing, they got dunked on a lot, but they get dunked on because they challenged everybody. Right. You know, it, yeah. Jordan put them on a handful of posters, but whatever, right. They, they were there. They were, they were right in there, you know, getting after these guys. And I, I miss that. I think, you know, as a, I think it's Jalen Rose, right? Says guys make a business decision. I, I think it's, you know, sometimes these guys are, you know, they, they don't want to live in infamy because now no one hangs posters anymore, but people, um, you know, I like to call it the gif a guy, you know, you're, you're going to gif a guy and he get, you know, gets out there and then you're going to live in infamy on Twitter for the rest of your life. And, but I think Jared Allen's like, all right, you might get me, but I'm going to get you every once in a while as we saw him do against LeBron James. So con more, more of a, just a kind of general fun question. It would you, I mean, flip it forward to April and we're in that first, first and second weekend of the playoffs and you've got eight games. Would you rather see the Nets as part of that mix in the, in that, that stretch than say a team like the Hornets or the Pistons, or would you rather see the Hornets and Pistons and maybe they have a better chance of, of winning or, you know, how, how do you see that going forward? I mean, I've watched a lot more Nets these past few weeks um, than I normally do. And in that span, they've fully changed my mind. I mean, I've always liked Jared Allen. And just since you mentioned him, Jared Allen is like top five favorite players of mine. He oh, one, his, one, his look is just amazing. Um, <laughs> throwback look with the fro and the headband. It's it's amazing. And then also, he's just so smooth. He's so long. I tweeted the other day. I, th- I, I think he's going to be an all-star in the next two, three years. He is... I really like his game, and he seems to go about it the right way. Um, but aside from Jared Allen and him being one of the major reasons why I want them to be in the playoffs, uh, I really also love the entertainment factor of D'Angelo Russell. When he's going, uh, it's one of the more fun guys. He has a lot of personality. He puts it on the floor, um, and he the way he plays, he makes those flashy passes and hits the long threes off the dribble. So when he gets going, he's a really fun player to watch too. And then Karis LeVert's going to be back, and he was amazing to start the season. This is... I was lower on most on the Nets before the season, so I'm just going to take it, take the L on that take (laughs) because (laughs) they are one of the most fun teams for me so far this season, and I 
definitely think they're going to make it, especially because I'm higher than on them than I am on the Hornets, who always find a way to miss the playoffs. The Magic, who are a nice surprise, but this Nets team has been a uh, uh, has been following the correct process for the, the the past few years without the picks. And once I have a pick um, this year, I think the sky's the limit for them, especially because they're in Brooklyn and the New York market always draws attention. Yeah, no, definitely. I think, you know, them having their picks again, them having, you know, a lot of ton of, you know, flexibility, even after the Dinwiddie, you know, extension, they're, they're sitting looking this summer. I project them to have about 48, 49 million in cap space. So, you know, more than enough to go get a max guy or make, make a couple moves to flush out the depth of the roster. You know, they're, they're, they're definitely on the come up. And, you know, as you said, they, they built it you up from nothing because they, they didn't have any picks to build around or anything. And for my money, this is not a knock on the Hornets or the Pistons. You know, I, I mean, obviously for completely selfish reasons, I want the magic to get in there because I'd like to cover playoff games, um, you know, here in, in my you know adopted hometown of Orlando. But I want the Nets in there because at least their games are going to be fun. You know, and I, I just, Hornets and Pistons they're just not fun like I mean I love Kemba Walker and I think Blake Griffin's playing great but you know those teams just aren't 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 fun you know there's just not a you know lot to go to there so you know that, that's kind of where I'm at all right let's close it out the only truly terrible awful team in the division which is not the worst thing in the world that they're you know I think kind of starting to lose a ton of games and play pretty badly the New York Knicks 10 and 29 they are 14th in the Eastern Conference tied with the Chicago Bulls all the way down there at the bottom there they're, they're uh, looking down at the Cleveland Cavaliers who are doing their best to stretch this to some all-time levels of horde basketball but the Bulls are you know or excuse me the Knicks are they're they're just a bad team it's a you know icon I would be shocked if the numbers tell us anything different uh no they're gonna tell you the same they're <laughs> they're 23rd actually in offense at 106.3 points per possession uh second to last in defense at 115.1 points per possession and that's because of the god-awful calves um on that end and then uh which amounts to a negative 8.8 uh net differential uh, and that's 26th in the league so yeah, they're also the least efficient offense at last place in effective field goal percentage, um, and it's just pretty bad throughout. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not really surprised. But you know, let, let's let's be be a little positive and let's talk about some of the good stuff that's going on. I want to start it off with you know some of the rotation stuff. Ennis Canner has primarily been the starting center for the Knicks, but. Recently, they moved him out of the starting five, and they went to Luke Cornett. They also started Mitchell Robinson for a handful of games. Robinson's been out nursing an ankle injury, but they've they've gone to Cornett, and he's you know they do what he does. He shoots the ball a lot, doesn't really defend, but nobody on this team does, so that's probably okay. And then Noah Vonley has started all year long at the power forward spot. Noah Vonley's been great. You know, he has been really, really good. I think he's finally, you know, showing all that potential we all thought he had with the Hornets and the Trailblazers and then didn't get much of a chance with the Bulls. You know, but Vonley has played really, really well. And, you know, unfortunately for the Knicks, he's on a minimum contract. They don't have any kind of bird rates on him or anything. So it becomes a situation where, 
they're they're limited in what they can resign him for unless they're going to use cap space and they've obviously got bigger dreams so i would look at moving vonley in a trade at some point uh here before the trade deadline see you know very easy to trade you might be able to get a minor asset back from somebody with the way he's played rookie uh forward kevin knox is starting to come around he's been in the starting five really since he returned from a pretty ugly ankle injury doesn't take the best shots but once those those shots get out of his game it's going to be pretty good tim hardaway jr is tim hardaway jr scoring the ball doing some stuff Emmanuel moody making plays he's been the starting point guard i'm i'm not a fan because i'd rather see frank nilakina get those minutes it's just just me i you know i don't fully understand what's going on there and then rotationally they they really just kind of mix it all up it's you know uh, damian dotson Cantor now coming off the bench trey burke alonzo trier who we talked about they converted his deal into a standard nba deal mario hazonia lance thomas courtney lee they, they kind of mix all of those guys in and out the one guy we didn't talk about chris Tapp's poor zingas he has been out all years he recovers from the acl surgery you know kind of a humorous moment where david fisdale said well he's not doing too much and then Cantor posted a tweet of him sprinting and you know starting to do sounds like he's starting to amp things up so pete would you bring him back this season i know you've got a perspective from the philly days with guys like Embiid and simmons and not you know bringing them back from injuries would you not obviously not bringing him back unless he's ready or would you just say stay out for the whole year i would say stay out for the whole year but at the same time you have to kind of look at how porzingis fits with you know, Kevin Knox in the lineup, Mitchell Robinson, um, you know, guys that you're hoping to build around as your, you know, foundation, so to speak. And, um, I, but me personally, I mean, Porzingis sitting out does, you know, good for him to get his body fully healthy and ready because obviously the Knicks aren't, aren't going for the playoffs. It's all about player development. Um, I just, I, I, I don't know. I feel like a mixed bag with, with how the Knicks are this season because I had higher hopes for guys like Mario Hazonia. I thought, you know, okay, end of last season with Orlando, he was going to, you know, build off of that this year, and it's gone the complete opposite way. But on the positive side of things, Noah Vonley has turned his career basically all the way around and, and really has shown flashes there. And then you get, you know, bits and pieces like Damian Dotson, like he said, Alonzo Trier, those guys kind of came as a surprise out of, out of nowhere, so to speak, and have, have really played well. Um, looking forward, you have to really look at the point guard position because Nilakina, um, I know he suffered the injury a game or two ago, and um, but he has to show offensive consistency. Defensively, he's he's you know good, but is it enough to be your long term point guard answer? What do you do with a guy like Trey Burke? Do you go ahead and move him because he's just an instant score guy? He's not really a point guard. And then Emmanuel Moutier, although he's improved this season shooting the ball really well from mid-range, he's still, to me, not showing the the you know versatility to be a long-term starter. So what do you what do you do going forward if you're David Fisdale at that point guard position? Um, and it's just a lot of question marks with with this team. But I think that Fisdale is holding it together well outside of the comments of Ennis Cantor, but. I really wouldn't worry about Cantor because he's not a, a long-term piece. So if you kind of piss him off, so to speak, it's not the end of the world because you're still developing the young guys, which is what you want to do in their position. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Cantor's not. He's not going to be. You know, I mean, and and I don't blame Cantor. He wants to play and he wants right. to, you know, be out there. But he's not. He's not part of anything this team's building going forward. And I think, you know, their their hope is, you know, a guy like Mitchell Robinson. And then obviously, this roster is probably going to look very different. Maybe as different as any uh, when we start next season. I think, you know, there's there's a only a handful of guys here who are, you know likely to be on this roster as we head into to the 2019-20 season. I just think it's, you know, going to look very different. Con, Con, I'm going to go to you, Porzingis. Would you bring him back this year? Again, assuming, you know, he's fully cleared and medically, you know, able to play? Yeah, I would. I mean, not to um, put any pressure on him and tell him it's going to be a tanking year. Just like Levine got his legs under him last year for the Bulls, just get his legs under him. Have him go through the uh, initial post-injury games in games that don't matter, that they're trying to lose. Because, I mean, he needs to play, and there's always injury risk, so you can't just hold him out of games forever just because he's going to get injured. So I would say a tanking stretch towards the end where games don't matter and him getting just... a you know, getting used to playing again would be ideal for him. And I just wanted to note with these teams at the lower end and like these teams that are trying to turn their seasons or turn their uh, franchises around, it's kind of crazy how a guy like Zion, who I think is just going to be a generational talent, um, and a lot of people think that way as well, but it really all sometimes falls onto getting the number one pick. If the Knicks get the number one pick, they can be a contender for the next 10 years if Zion is that level of player. I mean, it's just like the LeBron draft, right? Whoever was number one in that draft was going to be a contender and their franchise was going to turn around just because that player is that good. Um, So it really all falls on that, I think, for the Knicks going forward and then whether or not Durant actually does want to bring New York a title back. And that's so non-basketball related that it's hard to predict those things. Yeah, it's, you know, we'll, we'll see on the KD stuff. I think there might be a little more to that than some of the naysayers say, but it's, it is, you know, I just, yeah, I, I, just kind of very much reading between the lines with, you know, those podcasts he's done with Bill Simmons and his, you know, his agent, you know, talking a lot about the Knicks and those kind of things we'll see. But yeah, for me with Porzingis is I, you know, if he's fully cleared, I'm just always in the camp of if a guy's fully cleared, let him play. You know, it's just, you know, I don't, you know, yeah, if that comes with a week left in the season, well, yeah, then there's no point. But if that comes, you know, sometime here within the next month or so, you know, that's a year-long recovery now. That's generally what we see out of an ACL. And, you know, get them out there, let them, you know, 15, 20 minutes a night and see see what you got and, you know, let them play alongside, you know, Robinson and Knox and, you know, some of these other guys and, you know, really see, see where this goes. Because the other thing you're looking at is he's a free agent. You really got to decide – how far are we going, you know, with this guy? Are we going to invest a, you know, max deal into him, less than a max deal? What, what are we looking at here with with Porzingis? And that's going to be a, you know, big big question. Kind of, yeah, the Knicks have this flexibility. I, I project them to be at uh, twenty nine point five million in cap space. Now they can get to more, you know, by doing a, you know, handful of other things. And obviously, if Kevin Durant says that's where I want to be, they're going to make that happen to get to the, you know, max deal that they need to give Durant. But it's a lot of that, you know, revolves around what are we doing with Porzingis? Where where is he going? How what are we resigning him for? And you've got to figure that out. And the only way to I think start to get a real handle on that is how does he look on the court and you know what does that mean? So that that's that's how I would approach that situation. And then Con, it's you again on the bench mob show, you guys do a lot of trade stuff. Have you is there 
should should they be looking to move Noah Vonley for something? Because it's it's just it's hard to see how they resign him this summer unless everything goes you know a way they really don't want it to ha- go this summer. I mean, they need to ask themselves, is Noah Vonley a person we want on our team next year and moving forward? If not, then pull a Justin Holiday like the Bulls yeah. did and get a second or two or maybe a late, like, I don't know how desperate Philly is for a backup big that can stretch the floor and play solid, but I don't think Noah Vonley's worth a late first. Um, I bear, I mean, two seconds is probably the limit for me for him because... He's just an average player for me. I mean, he's play, been playing really well. He does have some upside, but he's not a guy that's going to really change or like make a huge impact um, on a team. And if you can get something, if you're the Knicks and don't really see him part of your future, then you should. Yeah, and it, Philly's a team that I really like for him. I think you know maybe you could do something like him for Korkmaz or something like that. They have where, that Bulls you know, second too. Yeah, which yep. could be valuable, and maybe that brings it down to only one second as the asking price if it's that high high end second. Yeah, no, definitely, yeah, because I think that's yeah, he's not going to get you a first. It's it's you're looking at maybe a a young player who maybe fits you know a little differently, a little better, or you know a second round pick. And I think you know I think Philly is a team that could could make a lot of sense there for for Vonley, and it's you know I think he would help them you know considerably as they, they look to move things forward. So, you know, the Knicks are, you know, they're, they're, I'll give them credit for one thing. They play really hard, you know, every game. So that's, you know, always good to see is they're, you know, always getting after it, you know, what you, you like. And then, you know, we'll, we'll see you know, ultimately where this thing, you know, goes for them because they're just, you know, they're just, they're, they're pretty, pretty bad, but it's, you know, bad by design. This isn't the end of the world. And they've got, you know, like we mentioned, we got Vaughn Lake, Courtney Lee could be a tradable veteran. You know, you know, they'd love to get off his money for next year and then get him off to another team. If they could move him for an expiring contract, they, they would be, you know, really excited to do that. Lance Thomas is a guy you could see a team maybe talking themselves into helping them. And Pete, you mentioned Trey Burke. So, so we'll see with that. So, you know, that closes it up. Com, we did it. We got to the Atlantic division. He didn't pull the stats for nothing. Yes, I'm, I'm excited. Uh, <laughs> excited. I've been watching. That. I've been concentrating my basketball watching on the Atlantic Division for like three weeks now because, <laughs> because of this. So I can move on to other divisions. Finally, That's it. we'll let you get. We'll let you watch the Bulls and whoever it else is you want to watch. So, so we're we're gonna we ran a little long, so we're gonna close it out. We do have a couple listener questions, but we'll get to those uh, in a future show. Hopefully next week we'll have a little bit of time time to do that. We're we're gonna skip closing thoughts as well because it's it's getting. Late, so I'm going to go right to you, Con. Tell everybody where to find you on Twitter and, and anything else you want to plug. Yeah, so you can find me at Twitter at Iconic, uh, spelled with my name, and follow the Benchmob NBA podcast at the Benchmob NBA. We just had a f- full deep dive into the Celtics uh, with uh, Jared Weiss from The Athletic uh, a couple days ago. So go check that out. We do mock trade online episodes. We did the Mavs last week, and the Pelicans are coming up this week. So we'll see if we can either blow it up or give Anthony Davis some help. Uh, those are always fun. And yeah. Were, were you <laughs> guys able to keep, were you guys able to keep Jared on track? That's one of my buddies, but I know sometimes Jared likes to go, you know, in these weird tangents and stuff. Oh no, it was a great <laughs> conversation. We went through every player besides like brand Wanamaker. Um, nice. So go, go check that out. It was, it was a fun conversation. Brad Wanamaker stepped up and made two big three pointers the other I know, night. I know my did. guy from Fenerbahce. That's it, yeah, man. He, he's he's big. He also played in uh, played in Germany with Daniel Tice on uh, what is it, Pete Bro Bros Bomberg. 
Is yeah, that right? Think, yeah. Yeah. Oh, so, one thing. One thing yeah. that I forgot to mention. Um, we'll be announcing this officially tomorrow. But if you're in the Boston area, February 28th, so that's like a day before Sloan, um, we are, me and a buddy from Sports Business Classroom are hosting a mock trade deadline live, which nice. is like, 25 to 40 people depending on how many we get and there's going to be teams assigned to every team so four to five people per team and then we're going to do live negotiations uh and use salary caps and analytics and just a whole event five six hour long event uh it should be really fun so if you are in the area have some time that week um it's on a thursday please uh just follow me on just look at my Twitter and Facebook and we'll be posting it out everywhere this week. So by the time you hear this information should be out there. I'll post the link in this podcast if Keith is OK with that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> and so you can find it there as well. Uh, that sounds like that'll be a lot of fun. It's uh, you know, you guys do a great job with all that stuff. And it's, you know, that, that's again, that's what this show is based on. So, you know, it sounds like that'll be a lot of fun. Pete, where can everybody find you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me at Pete Toll, M-E-A, so it's P-E-T-E-T-O-A-L. Um, and I just want to remind everybody, just please, if, um, you know, once you're listening to the show, please go ahead and um, subscribe. Make sure that you're telling at least one friend to download it and subscribe as well, because obviously we love talking basketball, um, but the more uh, subscribers we get, more downloads we get, the more fun stuff that we can bring you um, obviously also make sure you're supporting con and, um, the bench mob, um, obviously, you know, they do a great job there. And then of course, Keith with all his, his numerous writing, um, <laughs> around the internet, uh, make sure you're supporting them both, um, as well. Yeah. And I appreciate that. And thanks for that plug for the show. Yeah. Ratings and reviews and subscriptions and telling friends, we, we would love to be able to do this, you know, more. And if we can do more, the more we can do with the show and all those things that Pete mentioned, you know, we are back now weekly. There's no, no more breaks planned for us. If, if we have to take a break, it'll be, you know, very, um, you know, unplanned thing. It'll be something we didn't plan for, but we've got a lot of stuff coming up with, you know, the trade deadline and then buyout season. Then we're going to dive deep into off season previews. And we'll, what we're going to do with off season previews is we're going to go really deep on each team. We're going to talk all their free agents and targets for them and all those things. And we're going to try to bring in some, some team related experts in there. These people who follow the teams, we, you know, between the three of us, we've all got a lot of good connections for different guys around the NBA that we can bring in and, you know, try to bring you guys a lot of good, content that you're looking for with this show and then more we're deaf i've already talked to a handful of people we're gonna get some draft people on as we lead up to the draft we get a lot of fun stuff coming you know the rest of the way and obviously we'll continue to talk divisions and all those things and get get in on these and the division things will be be i think a lot of fun way to look at it because we're going to get into then we're getting into a mix of teams that are prepping for the playoffs and where are they going? And then these other teams that are, you know, all right, as people drop out of watching a team like the Knicks, but what does a guy like Kevin Knox been doing? How does he look? And those kind of things. It'll be a lot of fun. As for me, you can find me on Twitter at Keith Smith NBA. Find my written work at Yahoo Sports and Real GM and Celtics blog for Celtics specific coverage. And again, this has been the NBA front off show for Pete and Con and myself. Thank you so much. Have a happy new year. We're back with you and so excited to be here. We will talk to you next time.
And now, an ad from Dad. Save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Yeah. Tell you another way to save money. Don't buy those uh, expensive coffees every morning, you know. Then you can save up for a, I don't know, really nice dress shirt. I'm just saying. It's great that you feel comfortable here at work, but, you know, an adult could walk in. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. All right, let's pull up over here and drop a line. Are your feet wet? My feet are wet. Here's the drain plug. You put the plug in the drain, right? Ah, uh, it's on the dock. There's a reason they say curse like a sailor. Ah, Many reasons. Progressive's boat insurance has you covered. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates.